to God for what he's done for us in Christ Jesus. Well, church family, would you stand with me for the reading of God's holy word? We're going to read this morning from Acts chapter 9. We'll read from verses 32 through 43, though our intention is to study more verses than that this morning. But we'll start with these verses. As we've studied through the book of Acts, the spotlight moves from Paul back to Peter in these verses. 932. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the windows stood beside, uh, excuse me, all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Let's pray together. Father, first of all, we thank you for a great power. Power greater than paralysis. Power greater than death itself. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. I also pray that you would... In these verses, and especially in the verses that follow what we've read, reveal to us that all of us are still works in progress. That we can have glorious days, followed by days where our sinful strongholds still rear their ugly heads. So, Father, I pray that we'd leave today thankful for your grace and patience with us, and also determined to see the power of God at work in us, Put all those sinful strongholds permanently to death. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may be seated. I think it was two weeks ago I I, uh, preached a message to you from Paul's life called Snapshots of a Changed Life. And uh, my mom is so kind and precious and sweet that I was talking to her a little bit about using the Polaroid camera as sort of an illustration. And bless her heart, she went out and got a Polaroid camera from, uh, from somewhere. It didn't arrive in time for that particular Sunday. So just to be truthful, after she went to all that trouble, I felt compelled that we just revisit this illustration. And so that's what we're going to do. Do anybody remember these, right? The old Polaroid camera, you take a snapshot and then immediately what would happen is it would spit out this film. And we talked about this, you'd grab it and everybody would always wave it. And then you'd get those snapshots. Well, in uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through eleven eighteen, we're going to look at a few snapshots of Peter. And I have to tell you on the front end that not every snapshot we get of Peter is is a good picture, right? Have you ever had somebody take your picture and you immediately say, "Mm, 
Uh, can we, you delete that one, right? I mean, especially now in, in, um, in the digital age, somebody snaps your picture, you can immediately look at it, and you can just click a button. Can we please delete that? Well, if we're honest, I think Peter would have a few snapshots in his life recorded in Scripture that he'd say, can we just, can we just take that out? But I think God has preserved Peter's life in the Bible as a great encouragement and reminder for us. We're all works in progress. There isn't anybody in here, right? Anybody in here who, uh, who, who would desire a few snapshots of your own life to not be made public, right? We've all had moments, we've all had days that we wouldn't want anybody to put that picture up on that screen. And that's true for everybody. There's only one person in the history of the world who says, you put any picture you want up there, I'm good with it. And that's Jesus Christ himself. As a matter of fact, the most glorious picture of Jesus that we have is him being crucified on the cross. And the reason he's being crucified on the cross is he knows. He's got the full photo album, friends, right? You don't have anything that's been left in the dark room from him. He's seen all the pictures and he still loves you. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, Peter certainly has some pictures about the moment that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. That's probably didn't want that one in the photo album. Uh, the, the time that he said, Lord, I'll, I'll lay my life down for you. And then he would snap the picture just a few hours later. There stands Peter by the charcoal fire. Say, I don't even know who he is. Now, in our day, we don't have a Polaroid cameras as much, but we've developed something called Photoshop, right? You know about Photoshop? Even if you've got a bad picture, you can make it look better. Or you can take a better picture of you and insert it, right? And, and I've always been perplexed by Photoshop because it's so inauthentic, right? You've got a picture, but it's not the real thing. And sometimes I think we're, we're prone to want to Photoshop our spiritual life, right? And here's what the picture really is, but can I just circum, you know, put, 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 can, can I make some adjustments? Now, here's what's true for a believer in Jesus, by the way, is, is, uh, uh, is when it comes to your life, the picture, if you're a believer in Jesus, you do have a picture that's been placed above it, and it's the life of Jesus. That's what it means, right? He's imputed to us his righteousness. That's what the scripture says. In other words, what the cross is all about, friends, is that on that day, God treated, God the Father treated God the Son as if all those bad pictures belonged to him, and now he's willing to treat you as if all Jesus' good pictures were taken of you. It's the imputed righteousness of Christ. And Peter, photo album, by the way, though, does have some amazing pictures. He's the only one who could hold up a picture and say, check this out, walking on the water. Had to be quick with that one, snap that one quick, because it, the next picture would have shown what? Well, he's not even there anymore. He's under the water. But the picture also would have shown Jesus in the picture too, reaching down and pulling him back up. He got the picture of, uh, um, of, of Peter. Oh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, I'm saying all these things because Peter preserved in Scripture as a reminder that he's so much like us. A glorious moment sometimes immediately followed by, by a moment he'd, he'd choose to not have publicized. But Peter is in heaven today, not because all his pictures were great, but because he believed in Jesus. And now what we'll see here in Acts chapter 9 is even after, even after Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, ascended, the Holy Spirit has come. Surely by now, right, Surely by now there's nothing but good photos in the album. But then we open up Acts 9. We read, great photo. But then we get to Acts 10. Not so great photo. Then we get to Acts 11. Here's if we can end this extended metaphor this way. The final picture of every believer is a good picture. And that's what we'll see here. We're going to take three snapshots 
uh, of, of Peter here. And the first one will be this, if you've got an outline and want to follow it along. The snapshot number one, Peter ministers with great power, but still harbors a great weakness. Peter ministers with great power, but he still harbors a great weakness. So when we pick up here, we've not... not, uh, seen Peter a little while here in Acts in verse 32. It seems that Peter has adopted what we might call an itinerant ministry. He's out of Jerusalem. The last time we saw him, he was in Jerusalem. Now he's traveling. It says in verse 32, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas bedridden for eight years who was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. And then in Joppa, a disciple named Tabitha, and we read this already together, goes into her room, and she's dead, and he raises her from death to life. He's ministering with great power. These are two miracles, very reminiscent, and you've probably already made the connection in your mind to the ministry of Jesus. They're very familiar to miracles he performed. Aeneas is very similar to the paralytic that Jesus healed at Capernaum. Remember when he said, get up, take your mat, and go home. By by the way, this isn't the main point, but uh, some of you have always wondered if it's biblical to make your bed. Verse 54, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus heals you, rise and make your bed. So moms, you use that at your leisure. Peter's words to Tabitha, almost identical in the second scene to what Jesus said to Jairus' daughter when he raised her from the dead. As a matter of fact, if you would read the two sentences side by side, only one letter changes. Talitha kumi to Jairus' daughter, little lamb arise. Tabitha kumi, Tabitha uh, arise. And so, so these great powerful miracles are revealing that the power of the gospel, the power of God is still at work in the world and both of these miracles are performed by the power of Jesus. Look at verse 34. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Verse 40. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. Both miracles give glory to Jesus. Verse 35. All the residents, Lydda, Sharon, Solomon, and they turned to the Lord. Verse 42. It became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Peter has a powerful ministry. Peter's proclaiming the gospel. Peter's helping people, and through him, God is mightily at work. But, as has often been the case with Peter, there's these glorious moments, and there's also a difficult moment weakness. There's still a problem. We're about to see it here in a, in a moment. He ministers with great power, but still harbors a, a great weakness. There's still a sinful stronghold in him. So this reminds us that God doesn't use perfect people, right? We've heard that. We know that. God is using Peter working through Peter. This is important, so listen. He's working through Peter, but he's also still working on Peter and in Peter. So what is it? There's a stronghold still residing in him, and it has to go. If it does not, if it does not, 
I believe his ministry will no longer have much power. So let's see what the stronghold is. Chapter 10. We're going to work our way all the way through chapter 10 and a little bit of 11. So at Caesarea, verse 1, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the poor, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon a tanner, so don't get the wrong Simon, right? (laughs) Whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants And a devout soldier, and among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Aeneas asked for help. Peter came. Tabitha's friends asked for help. Peter came. Cornelius is going to ask for help. And Peter doesn't want to come. So friends, that's where we've got the weakness. What's the difference? The difference is this. Cornelius... is a Gentile. And Peter's, well, let's just read. (laughs) The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened not once, not twice, three times. Peter's always working in threes. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And at this season of his life, there are some sheep Peter will feed, and some feet, some feet, some sheep Peter won't feed. It's happened three times. It speaks to us of how deeply this sinful stronghold lodged in his heart. It happened three times, and the thing was taken up to heaven. Verse 17. Now, Peter was inwardly perplexed as to the what the vision might mean so before we go any further let's call a spade a spade what is the weakness in peter's heart there are people that he will not associate with there's a people that he will not eat with there are people he will not minister to there are there's a group of people that gentiles that he will not associate with. In that day, in that culture, at that time, at that place, Jews and Gentiles did not associate with one another on any level. They cross one another in the street, they don't speak to each other, they don't even look at each other. So Peter has grown up in this culture where it's instilled in him. Look what he says. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And then reading between the lines, I've never eaten with anyone who I am calling common or unclean. And he's perplexed about this. Now, I always think that there's a couple of helpful uh, hints in the Bible about what's really going on here, uh, particularly in the Old Testament. And then, it, of course, comes into the New Testament. 
is that God often teaches spiritual truth through physical means, right? I mean, if you're spiritually dead, the only way you have to learn and see and understand is through physical. So, so God often teaches spiritual truth through physical means, and then often, particularly in the Old Testament, he, he uses geography as object lessons, right? And so we have both of those things going on here. And, and I don't mean to stretch it too far, but I, I, I think we've seen Jesus, uh, as he's ministering to Peter, a couple of things happen. Is, number one, Peter has uh, gotten out of his routine. He's out of Jerusalem. And this is just real practical. This is just real practical. If you ever really want to learn uh, to love people and understand the perspectives of different people, sometimes you just got to travel, right? I, I'm not trying to make it too oversimplify but he got out of jerusalem and he starts traveling and he goes to these other places and the cities that he's going to in fact are uh heavily influenced by gentiles but peter's willing to go and, and then we learn that he's staying at somebody's house in particular simon a tanner anybody know what a tanner is somebody makes leather right it's got to be around dead animals a lot i'm just telling you that i think god's already at work in peter's life to straighten him out through a few practical things, one more one, he's, he's kind of getting out, he's traveling around, and now he's staying with someone, probably Simon the Tanner is not someone he would have stayed with years before. God's beginning to st- stretch him. And then of all places, he goes to Joppa. Now, verse 36, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha. Anyone know Joppa? Anybody else know somebody who else went to Joppa? who had a very similar heart condition to Peter. I'll just read it to you. It's from the Old Testament. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that Gentile city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. And found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish. Away from the presence of the Lord. Peter's walking the streets that Jonah walked. In the days when Jonah said, I don't want to go to Nineveh. Uh, I don't like Ninevites. I don't want to be around them. And I certainly don't want to take the message of the gospel to, to, to the Ninevites. When we were growing up, it, my family... Um, one of the jobs my dad had for several years in the, uh, was uh, for the Fayetteville News and Observer, the newspaper, and had a long route. We'd have to get in the car, and the brothers, uh, three of us, we would kind of take turns of who went with dad, and your job was to get there, and we'd get all these stacks of newspapers, and your job was to roll all the newspapers up, and if it was a sunny day, put the rubber band on them, and if it was the cloudy day or rain, put the plastic, and, we, and, and, the, and the route lasted all day long, and you'd get your hands, would get so smudged. You remember newspapers? Anybody still read the newspaper? I still like the newspaper, but anyway. Get, get your hands all covered in ink, and all day long, you're out delivering the newspaper. Uh, my, my, my dad would love to throw it over the top of the car, and, and he got pretty good at making sure it got, I would throw it, and it would land in the bushes, and there'd probably be a complaint, we didn't get our paper today, we'll go look in the bush, and so, so on and so forth. You know, as I delivered the news, it was not my responsibility to decide who got the news and who didn't. I'm just delivering the news. And friends, if you're a faithful follower of Jesus, you don't say, well, they'll get it, but they won't. And it's for them, but it's not for them. And this isn't a New Testament idea. Remember what he had said to Abraham? Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. That all the nations 
of the earth will be blessed. The psalmist and the prophets spoke of a day when God's Messiah would inherit the nations. So perhaps Peter has calculated that God meant, what God had meant was that the Jewish people throughout the nations. But you know what? The patience of God, he's still willing to work in Peter's heart. Peter's weakness is that he harbors racism in his heart. He's ministering with great power, but he still harbors a great weakness. And if it doesn't get fixed, it's back to the physical miracles. I think the warning here is is that there's going to come a moment when your ministry, Peter, is paralyzed. It's not going to go forth anymore. And if it doesn't get resolved, you're not going to be able to, your your ministry's going to die, right? Now, Peter was perplexed, verse 17, as to what the vision would mean. So let's get a snapshot number two, is this, Peter receives correction from God and willingly submits. So let's get the correction. Peter is inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. They're at the door. And they call out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. For I have sent them. Have you noticed this yet? When Peter heals Aeneas, what word does he use? Rise. When Peter heals Tabitha, what word does he use? Arise. Now, what word is God using to Peter? Uh, Verse 12. Came a voice to him. First word. Rise. What's it said here? Verse 20. Rise. Rise. Friends, there might be a sinful stronghold in your life this morning. And you know what you need to do? You need to get up. You need to get up. You need to make your bed, so to speak. Say, oh, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm not going to spend the next eight years lying here in the stronghold of racism, the stronghold of lust, the stronghold of greed, the stronghold of materialism. Rise and get up out of there. Amen? God speaks the same word to Peter. He had spoken to Aeneas and Tabitha. Rise. Get out from the paralysis of racism. Rise from the tomb of racism. Peter, Christ was crucified for all people. He's got to say it to them three times. And they said, well, uh, rise, and look what he says, without hesitation, for I've sent them. Friends, don't live your whole life on the verge of making the decision to get up. God's given you the power to get up. Just sit there on the edge of the bed. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, without hesitation. When God speaks, he's to be obeyed, and he's to be obeyed immediately. Uh, Peter's wrestling with it. Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. So Cornelius has built some bridges in his life, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. I mean, what minister of the gospel would not love this invitation? Can you please come to our house and tell us what it is that you have to say? (laughs) I'd love an invitation like that. 
Yeah, I'd love to come in. But, but Peter's at a season of his life. The door's open, but he's hesitant. He's hesitating. So he invited them in to be his guests. Now he's sitting with them. And now he's going to go with them. The next day he rose. You see it? He rose and went away with them. God's at work in his heart. This is what snapshots of a changing life look like. God, Peter, receives correction. And whenever God speaks to you, you've got one or two options. You say no or you say yes, right? Peter receives correction from God and he willingly sub- submits. And now uh, let's examine the picture, all right? We got the snapshot, got the Polaroid. We're going to wave a little bit. Let's look at what it looks like when a man receives correction from God and willingly submits. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Caesarea. I mean, that's a Gentile city. You see Caesar's name right in it. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up. I too am a man. What's happening here? I too am a man. What, what, what's Peter doing with Cornelius? Me and you. Me and you. We're both men. Both people. Both human beings. A, a racist is unwilling to make that comment, friends. A racist looks at other people as less than men. Less than human. Beneath them. But God has shown me. Look what Peter says. <laughs> Stand up, I'm too man. As he taught with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. It's his first time in his life he's been into a Gentile's home. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God, right? This is how we do things, but God. That's when God's at work in your life, friends, is when it matters more to you what God has said than what the culture says. But God has shown me that I shall not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why you sent for me? Cornelius said four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. At the ninth hour. I just want to point this out to you briefly. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 3. Or verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Let's say something clear, but hopefully I know it's true. Peter's in the habit of praying at the ninth hour. Cornelius is in the habit of praying at the ninth hour. God in the heaven doesn't listen to one of them and not the other. Amen? Comes to the ninth hour, he's like, whoa, 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 Cornelius, you hold on. I'm going to listen to Peter first. I'm going to listen to him first. Cornelius is a praying man. And um, uh, I hope we also see a consistent theme here in Acts is God's always working in response to the prayers of people. And said, Cornelius, your prayer, verse 31, has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I went, so I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come. I mean, Cornelius, 
amazing man. God's at work in his heart. He's bowed down. He's tried to worship Peter, so he's clearly not got everything right. Don't you see the tears on his face? Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. It's an amazing scene, isn't it? You you see it too? Peter's never been in a Gentile house. There he is. He's going to stand there. As Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. I don't know if you underline in your Bible, but that's a pretty good statement to underline. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He's Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him, and we are witnesses of all that He did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put Him to death by hanging Him on a tree, but God raised Him up on the third day and made Him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen as God by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead that's a pretty good gospel presentation by the way to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name so let's get it straight let's get it clear one name for all the people amen One name, Jesus Christ, for anyone who would repent and believe on his name. This is a fascinating scene because there had been a time in his life. Y'all, there had been a time in his life what Peter really thought was the Messiah would come and the Messiah would give Israel great victory. He's always wrestled with this. Even after Jesus is raised from the dead, there, he's about to ascend on high. You remember this, Acts 1? What, is, what, what do the disciples say? Is now the time? Now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's Acts 1. And over here in Acts chapter 10. By the way, the, the um, theory behind that is, is that the Messiah is going to come along. And he's going to raise up a glorious army. And he's going to wipe Rome out. Right? And so much of Jesus' ministry... They, they took what he was doing and twisted it for their own perceived uh, mission of what Christ should be about. I mean, if you are, by the way, if you are going to lead an army in those days, there's a few problems. Number one, obviously, people die in your army. What's Jesus demonstrated? You're raising from the dead. People get hurt, get cut. What's Jesus demonstrated? I didn't heal anybody. I walk on the water. You have a large invading army. How about if the weather doesn't favor you? You're going to take a castle, but the storm comes. What's Jesus demonstrated? I'm speaking. The wind cease, right? And that day, the biggest problem is just simply you've got a large standing army. What's everybody going to eat? Two loaves, a few fish, we're good to go. Just before he's crucified, here comes Peter, James, and John. What are they arguing? I want to sit on your right hand. When you go on that white charger and you go into Jerusalem and you drive the Romans out, I want to be on the right hand. In other words... Peter had thought Jesus had come to obliterate, for example, a centurion, what was known as the Italian cohort. Obliterate 
the Roman army. <laughs> and now Peter's getting it. Messiah hasn't come to obliterate everybody else. He's come to save. He's not come to destroy. The Son of Man has come into the world to seek and save the lost. And here's a lost man, Cornelius. He's interested. He's interested, but he doesn't know. And here's somebody who knows who isn't interested initially in going. The Messiah did not come in order that Peter and his people would obliterate Cornelius and his people, but that the two people, we read it in Ephesians, might become one. Because for all their distinctions and all the ways that they said, we're like this and you're like that, you, you know, truth, truth of the matter is there's only one type of people on the planet. Did you know this? Sinful people. That's it. When we try to categorize and distinguish sinful people, Jesus came for sinful people, and we're all a part of that. God grants equal access. Uh, God is establishing a kingdom that Peter and Cornelius can both be a part of. Hey, hold your spot there. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. To Second Peter. Last words. This gives me great hope that God can uh, continue to work in me as well. Last words we ever get of Peter are uh, Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. And we'll go on and put up our third snapshot. All right. The third snapshot is this. Once changed, Peter becomes an agent of change. I just want you to see what he says here in 2 Peter verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. By the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Isn't that a glorious statement? Peter, who once argued, hey, I'm going to sit on the right. I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Now, God, over time, has changed his heart, changed his mind, showed him patience, showed him grace. Towards the end of his life, Peter says, no, 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 it's not first class, and the apostles are first class, and all you other can sit at the back of the plane. No, no, no. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, why is the faith of equal standing? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. And man, the rest of Second Peter is amazing and glorious, but we don't have time to get into it tonight. This morning. Some of you feel like it might be tonight. I've been preaching too long. All right. So here we go. Third snapshot. We're going to wrap it up. I want you to see that once he's been changed, Peter becomes an agent of change. While Peter was still, verse 44, saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Do you see it? They assumed incorrectly. Their sinful hearts projected attitudes upon God that God does not hold. It's a dangerous thing to do. The believers... Uh, sorry, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. It'd be nice if that were just sort of the end of the story. But it's not. God never changes you 
so that it ends with you. If God's at work in your life, it doesn't just stop with you. He changes you so that you can become an agent of change that, that glorifies God. So, so we'll read it, last scene, last snapshot, going back to Jerusalem. Remember, he's traveled out of Jerusalem, been going around, now he's going back. And friends, he's stepping back into the hornet's nest. He's stepping back into that culture and that place, that time, that they said, no, the Gentiles, they stay over there. Look what happens. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Friends, when God does a work in your life, just be be prepared to be criticized. You did what? You went where? With who? At what time? You went to the uncircumcised. They criticized him. What's Peter going to do, right? Ah, it's just just a one-time thing. They invited me. I don't know what to do. It was awkward. What am I supposed to say? No. The rock began... And explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance I saw a vision. What's he saying? God spoke to me, y'all. Something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. All these things that Gentiles would eat, that a Jewish person would never eat. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord. For nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered, and second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. They, criti- they criticized him, and he responded by saying, here's what God told me. This happened three times, and it was all drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at this very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in the house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your whole household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water. But you, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? good question isn't it when they heard these things they fell silent (laughs) criticize 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 testimony and they fell silent feels a little bit about feels a little bit like um, when they brought the adulterous woman in front of jesus criticize then jesus spoke and then they were all silent they're all silent they kind of wait in there you going to say something what are we supposed to say what are you supposed to say What are you supposed to say? Maybe you should say, hmm, that's the issue I got in my heart too. Maybe that's what they were thinking. And they glorified God. (laughs) Saying, and then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance. 
leads to life. It's, it's, I hope we understand what a huge shift that was collectively in their thinking. Shifted. Huge, huge moment. They glorified God. What glorifies God? When you agree with what he says. Amen? First of all, they criticized. Then they fell silent. Then they glorified God. Hey, a few uh, closing applications is, uh, is this, that God doesn't, God doesn't use just perfect people. Amen? God, God doesn't you, wait till you got everything right in your life. But this is also true. This is also true. As he works through you and ministers through you to be a witness through you, he's still going to be working on you, in you. So, hey, uh, we're doing some good things. We're going to continue this work, but we've got to deal with this. Now, here's a good question for you this morning. Is Do you have something in your heart, a stronghold, that God would just say, we've got to deal with this? It's paralyzing spiritually, right? And, and the truth of the matter is, if we can also have the grace to see this, if Peter would not have been sensitive and submitted to God as he corrected him, there's this whole family over there, Cornelius, that's also not receiving the blessing that they ought to receive because of what. So it's a lie to ever think that my sins just deal with me. It's my little world, my little sin, my little issue, and it got anything to do with anybody else. That's not. That's not true. Your your uh, sinful shortcomings affect those around you and probably affect people you not even on the radar screen. Secondly, what we learn is that it's. Uh, Evidence of God's ongoing work in your life when you submit to his course correction. Anybody here this morning, you're sitting on the edge of the bed, hesitating, hesitating. You've got a stronghold, and we can list many strongholds. Racism is a stronghold. Lust is a stronghold. Materialism is a stronghold. Anger, anxiety, these are all strongholds. And God's saying, rise, rise. What a great verse, Romans 8. If the Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in you, the Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. It means your little physical body. You can, get, you can get up and you get going. Make your bed when you're out of it. We're going to stand together. We're going to pray. So let's pray. Let's enter a time of prayer and response. Let's be on our knees. Come before the Lord. Seek His face. Pray for our nation. Pray for our lives. Pray for our church. That the gospel would be able to go forth in power. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the sufficiency of Scripture. The faithful study of your word, it's always timely. And I think this is a timely message for our day, today. I thank you that you had us right here, picked up right where we left off last week, had no idea what was coming in the intervening seven days. So, Father, we, we trust your word. We want to be a people who hear it, who study it. But, God, we also would ask you that you'd forbid it for us that we'd stop there, just observe and watch. Help us to be prayerful. Help us to, to, to say, now, what does this have to do with my heart, my life? Are there things in my life that need to go? Even when others will criticize me, likely people who are dealing with the same strongholds, they'll criticize me. When that... When that moment comes, God, help me to be a faithful witness like Peter was and say, this is what God said to me. This is what his word says. And they might mock or they might fall silent. They might glorify God, but we desire 
that we would be people who respond to your word, who seek your face in scripture. Lead our invitation time, Lord. Find a receptive people in Jesus' name. Amen.